Thank you, Julian. Turn this back on, make sure everybody can hear me. You didn't want to hear me sing. So please turn, uh, please uh, stand if you are able uh, for the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading from Psalm uh, 24. Actually, it's all of it, verses 1 through 10. But let us heed God's holy and infallible word. A Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts is the King of glory. Please be seated. And may our Lord add his blessing to this reading and hearing of his infallible word. Well, this is the fifth in the series on the names of God that I have given while filling the pulpit, although this is a repeat from about seven years ago. Anyway, a short recap about names first. We learned that names are important. We learned that in the ancient times, names often meant more than they usually mean today. Now, a per more than what just a, a person or a location uh, is called. They usually uh, nearly always reveal important information about the individual or the place or the thing uh, of that name. We saw that the various uh, ways that names and titles are used also speaks of relationships. Because of the depth of God's character, he has various names that reflect the ways that uh, he relates to us. Uh, knowing God's names, you know, really knowing the names, opens the doors for us to more fully know his character and thus, in turn, allows us to be able to experience his majesty and power much more deeply. We saw that when God is called Elohim, uh, that he is revealing himself as the strong one, the mighty one, the uh, all-powerful one, as God the creator. Therefore, by his mere utterance, the universe and all things that there were to be came to be. He put them into place. He painted the universe by magnificent strokes of his voice. And then he saw that it was good. He saw that it was really good. And how could he see it any differently? 
There was a, is a blessing and a comfort in understand, understanding this great name, Elohim. It's found over 2,700 times uh, in Scripture. And we learned that it signifies God's supreme power, his sovereignty and glory on the one hand for you know, vine, meaning Elohim, is the power and the kingdom and the glory. And on the other hand, it signifies a covenantal relationship that he is ever faithful to his creation, both animate and inanimate, to maintain his wondrous creation, and it is his creation, to maintain it as he, how he sees for his purposes, purposes known to him, which he will reveal uh, should he so desire. <clears throat> anyway, then last time I was up here for the message, we looked at the name, not the last time, the next time uh, was uh, we looked at the name Yahweh or Jehovah, uh, the name by which he is revealed nearly 6,800 times in Scripture. With this name, he is the great I Am. You know, many translations of Scripture denote this as the word Lord in all capital letters. And we saw that uh, this name Yahweh, uh, that it was and still is so sacred in the uh, traditional uh, Hebrew culture that the Jews uh, didn't then and don't even now dare speak it for the fear of their breaking the prohibition against taking the Lord's name in vain. We dedicated significant time reviewing this name as the existing one. We saw him, in other words, as the only truly independent being in the universe because he is, as Yahweh, is the only being who is self-generating. He alone perpetuates himself through all eternity, and he is the only one that is able to do so. And the self-existence of our God, Yahweh, includes his self-sufficiency. This reminds us that he is the eternal, the great eternal one. He is fully independent. He needs only himself to exist in the dimension where he lives. He is everlasting, for he is who he is, he is who he was, and he is who he will ever, forever be. He is the great I Am. And then last time uh, we focused on the name El Shaddai, uh, the God Almighty, the great nourisher and all-powerful provider of blessings, the one that gives us blessings so that blessings may pass from us to others and bring glory, therefore, to him. He is a God full of bounty, and he sustains life all on his own. If our expectations are set on El Shaddai, and his providential care, we won't stumble at even uh, the thought of going through difficult times. And today now we will uh, turn to God as the name Adonai. Uh, but he is also known by quite a few more, uh, such as El Elyon, uh, Yahweh uh, Nisai, uh, Yahweh Rapha, uh, Yahweh Jerah, Yahweh Shalom, and you know, quite a few others that we may have an opportunity to look at over time. Now, God has a name for every circumstance and situation in which we may find ourselves. And he also has one for every purpose in which we may find him. And so, 
but besides all of this, once remember that, that once again remember that there are three main principles to keep in mind when we regard our God. We are commanded to honor Him, we are commanded to fear Him, and we are commanded to praise Him. God's names are hallowed. They are to be respected. They are to be treated with reverence. He, for He is to be revered. When we live in a covenantal relationship uh, with God, we become accountable for reflecting His character. When we are, as we say, in Christ, we bear His name. Our behavior, publicly and privately, yes, privately also. He see, for He sees directly into our hearts. All our behavior reflects upon Him. When we take the name Christian, we must remember the commandment that says, you shall not take the name of your Lord God, of the Lord your God in vain. And fearing God's names encourages us, even empowers us to walk in His way and His truth. Now, fearing His name is the key to living an abundant life and fulfilling, uh, and fulfilling to the utmost the providence that our great God has laid before us. God's name and subsequently Christ's name brings protection and provision. But the key to accessing that protection and provision is to know his character and to esteem and respect the person behind the name. To fear and revere God's name is to fear and revere God. It is to take him seriously. And thus we are so commanded. And I plead all of us, and even the little ones, that with ears to hear, do not be ignorant of this truth that is laid out in his holy word. And lastly, to know the names of God is plainly inherent to the greatness of his names. For we are commanded to praise his name, to praise him above all. And we, his children, we have an ever everlasting eternal life with him, to praise him forever, amen and amen. That doesn't mean I'm done. <clears throat> As an additional recap, the names of God convey an intrinsic majesty and glory. Discovering and experiencing the manifestations of his names in our lives steers us directly into his presence and thus helps us understand how to praise and worship him more and more, and to do so more effectively, at least from my view. <coughs> have you ever heard someone say, or have you been tempted yourself to say, it's my life and I want to live it my way? Like the hamburger commercial, have it your way? Meaning that I'm the master of my own fate. I control my destiny. Well, this is a common delusion, an absolute fallacy, and it dates all the way back to the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> it is one of the greatest lies, if not the greatest lie, promoted by our adversary, our biblical enemy, Satan, the evil one. Here is the truth. We are all created by a loving God who has a purpose for our lives. Different from the word Lord in all capital letters, translated as Yahweh, the Hebrew word Adonai is translated in our English text scripture as 
Lord, with only the L being capitalized. Used as a name of God, Adonai appears about 400 times in the Old Testament. It is also used in reference to men, not God. Uh, when used in reference to men, it has various meanings, sometimes used as uh, sir or as you know, a sign of respect uh, or honor. Uh, it, in other instances, it is as master, uh, as to a portion of land or owner or ruler. For the most part, the word contains the concept of dominion, rulership, and ownership. When used in reference to people, it is always in the singular form, Adon, spelled A-D-O-N. When used for God, it is used in the plural form, Adonai, and is often in the possessive tense, meaning to belong to the Lord. <coughs> this use of the plural form confirms another example of the triune character of our God, revealing himself in the Trinity as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just as we previously saw when discussing the all-powerful creator God, Elohim, which is the plural form of El, meaning God. This uh, illustration of the Trinity and Adonai is also patently confirmed by its use in Psalm 110, verse 1, which states, The Lord says to my Lord. Translate that as Yahweh says to my Adonai. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And in Matthew 22, verses 41 through 45, Jesus asserts that this passage of Psalm 110 is a reference to himself, as does Acts uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 34 and 36, and a couple of verses uh, in Hebrews also. This cultural background for the word Adon uh, is associated with masters who owned slaves. Yet this does not merely connotate ownership. It also conveys a responsibility by the owner for the care and well-being of the servants. The master was to provide for, protect, guide, and maximize that which he owned. So when God is referenced in scripture by the plural Adonai, he is seen as the owner. Psalm 97 verse 5 says that God is the Lord, Adonai, of all the earth. He is not just the creator, Elohim, but also the owner, Adonai. And God states his, this ownership is his, in his own words in Psalm 50 verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. In the New Testament, the apostles often called themselves bond servants, or slaves of Jesus Christ. They used this language to let everyone know that they were owned by Christ. This is a significant statement, and not merely a sentiment, because ownership includes certain responsibilities and duties. In fact, ownership has much more to do with responsibility than with mere, with, than with mere dominion. Husbands can't just walk around saying, 
I'm the Lord of this home. I'm the head. As a husband, you have to be the Lord, be the head. Husbands, though, they, they need to own their role as a head and not just use the term. Husbands need to take care of, provide for, guide, and protect their wife and family. Unfortunately, today, too many men expect the term add-on to be given to them without accepting the associated responsibility. God, in his role as Adonai, fulfills all the responsibilities of ownership. He provides, leads, guards, cares for, and does much more. So while it is translated Lord, the primary significance of the name Adonai is ownership or mastership and indicates the truth that God is the rightful owner of each member of the human family and he, that he rightfully claims the obedience of all. An illustration of this is a claim upon man's obedience and service is found in Malachi, which is written to call Israel to repentance for their brazen and callous behavior. They had divorced their wives, polluted their worship, robbed God of the tithe which was consecrated to him. Israel had trampled God's word under their feet in, in, in blatant disobedience. <clears throat> so in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, God poses this, A son honors his father, and a servant his master, Adon. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, Adonai, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Yahweh. And that chapter ends, I am a great king, says the Lord Adonai of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. So the use of the name Adonai in the Old Testament clearly reveals the relationship that God sustains towards his creatures and what he expects of them. The first usage of God's name as Adonai is found in Genesis 15. So, <clears throat> and <clears throat> so, but let me uh, back up a little bit in that story back to chapter 12. When God calls upon Abraham to move and, and God promise and gives him a promise of blessing. This established a covenantal relationship. The story progresses on through chapter 14, at the end of which <clears throat> has Abraham rescuing Lot and his kin. Now we see that at the beginning of Genesis 15, verses 1 and 2 reads thus, After these things, the word of the Lord, Yahweh, came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. But Abram said, O Lord God, Adonai Yahweh, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Earlier in Genesis, God had promised Abraham that he was going to make him a great nation and that he would give him an heir, a child, uh, even in his very advanced old age. I should mention that of note, God made that promise to Abraham as Yahweh, the self-revealing God. 
and Abraham had responded by moving his family to the promised land. Now 10 years later have passed and still no baby. Abram is confused. He remembers what God said and yet he sees nothing has been done. He still believes his heir will be Eliezer, his servant. So although uh, I would not question God, Abram asks why. He wonders when the promise will be fulfilled. So notice that in this first part of chapter 15, verse 1, the use of the word Lord is in all caps, Yahweh. Abram had heard what God said when he revealed himself and his plan way back when. But not seeing the fulfillment in the second verse, Abram appealed to God as Lord Adonai. See, only the L of the Lord there is capitalized. He appealed to God's character as the owner, as the master. And then God responds by taking Abram outside, instructing him to look toward the heavens and count the stars. God then assures him that his descendants will be countless like those stars. God's response to Abram is profound. By showing him the stars, God declares his authority over all creation. In a sense, God is saying to Abram, do you think your childlessness presents me with a problem? If you really know who I am, you will have no doubt. And Genesis 15, verse 6 says, And he, Abram, believed the Lord, Yahweh, and he counted it to him as righteous. That is a statement of Abram's surrender. It is, it is a point when Abram had to acknowledge his own insufficiency. Abram acknowledges that Yahweh is the Lord Adonai, that he is the Adonai, he is the owner of his life. Abram's submission to God as master, ruler, and owner throughout the entire conversation of Genesis chapter 15 opened a path for Abram to hear more or to hear better. It allowed God to give more and it enabled the reestablishment of God's covenant on that day. A way to illustrate this uh, using some of our contemporary language may be with the phrase, yes sir or yes ma'am. Of course, these words don't always carry much weight, particularly if they are merely a, a cultural uh, gesture uh, tied to one's upbringing. But when they are spoken with the fullest amount of respect and meaning that, that can be attached to them, they can open the door to greater communication, greater revelation, uh, quicker timing, deeper intimacy in any situation. What those words denote quite simply is surrender or submission. Submission is a powerful tool in our relationship with the all-powerful Adonai God. Unfortunately today, too many Christians have settled for Yahweh without experiencing the full power of Adonai. To experience what God can do for you as master, ruler, and owner over your life, must, you must knowingly and willingly surrender to him. That means God gets to call the shots. He gets to have the final say in your decisions. You consider his perspectives as you make your choices and decide 
how to use your time, how to use your resources. Many people want God to do what he says he will do, but they won't give him the right to own them. God isn't going to disclose more of himself as Yahweh, revealing himself in ways to you if you are not willing to confess more of him as Adonai. If you are unwilling to surrender ownership of your time, your thoughts, your talents, your treasures to him, the information flow stops. It becomes more like a drip rather than full force of a fire hose flowing his word into your life. Too many in the body of Christ want God to get them into heaven, to own them there, but they are not willing to let him own them on earth. Unless you confess God as Adonai, your owner and ruler, your experience of his full nature will be limited. You may hear his word and even say his promises are real and true, but you may not realize the fulfillment of his promises in your life. God must have the right to own you if he is to take responsibility to do something for you, to do something with you. No owner on, on earth would invest much in something that he cannot legitimately access or claim ownership to, and God won't either. When Abraham surrendered to God as Adonai, he received the promise of a child. He received further revelation and he received the reassurance of an intimate covenant with God. For another example, we could look at Exodus chapter 4 and the situation of Moses. Moses had become a bit unsettled after a wilderness, as a wilderness shepherd for four decades. Then God showed up in the, in the burning bush, giving Moses the commission of a lifetime to represent God before Pharaoh and then bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Well, God balks at that. Exodus 4, 10 through 13 reads, But Moses said to the Lord, Yahweh, O my Lord, Adonai, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord, Yahweh, said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord, Yahweh? Now therefore go, and I will be with your, with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O oh my Lord, Adonai, please send someone else. Essentially, Moses starts by telling God that the one thing God has asked him to do that he simply can't do. Moses is convinced he doesn't possess the gift, uh, the natural skill to do what God has said. He, he doubts God's calling in his life. However, at this same time, Moses recognizes that despite his insecurities, God is in charge. He acknowledges that God owns him. Moses addresses God as Adonai. <clears throat> Respectfully uh, communicates his timidness, and by doing so, Moses confesses that God runs the show. Moses may not presently see how God's plan is possible, but he knows enough to know that God is Adonai. And so Moses speaks to him as the one who is in control. To this, God responds that he is the maker of malice and he is all that is necessary 
to carry out his plan on earth. In essence, God lets Moses know that even when people aren't able to fulfill the calling of, in their lives, if they will recognize God as Adonai, he can make them fully capable. God doesn't always call the equipped, but he always equips the called. When we surrender to God as Adonai, and owner over our lives, he takes the raw materials of our human existence and sprinkles his power on us. He floods his grace over us. He stirs his spirit into us. He makes it work despite how feeble our own abilities may be. When God is your Adonai, when you submit yourself to giving him full control to guide and direct you according to his will, he can use you in ways that will stun you and those that know you. He can give you amazing ability, even seemingly supernatural ability. He did it for Abraham. He did it for Moses. He has done it for many. He will do it for you. You need to confess him as your master, ruler, and owner. If we look at Judges uh, chapter 6, when Gideon recognized God as Adonai and the change that occurred in his story. God had allowed the pagan people of Midian to oppress the people of Israel because the Israelites had been tinkering with false gods and worshiping idols. The Midianites were literally pounding them. So finally, the Israelites were shattered and they called out to Yahweh to do something. They asked for relief and deliverance. Maybe everything in your life has seemed to go against you, to beat you down, to, uh, and yet you haven't seen God intervene. So you call on him to bring hope into a seamlessly hopeless situation. This is exactly what the Israelites did. And when they did, an angel of the Lord came to Gideon and said that Yahweh was with him and that he was a valiant warrior. But Gideon didn't see himself that way. He felt anything but a valiant warrior. You know, verses 13 through 14, 13 and 14 of that chapter 6 state, And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, referring to the angel, if the Lord Yahweh is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord Yahweh bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord, Yahweh, has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord, Yahweh, turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Having received his commission, Gideon then wonders aloud, How can this be possible? He doesn't come from a strong military family. He is not the oldest of his siblings. But recognizing God's rule and authority, Gideon positions his hesitancy into surrender and then says in verse 15, Please, Lord Adonai, how can I save Israel? In other words, he is saying, Sir, I don't qualify. I don't have the credentials to do what you want. So just like Moses, whether from a sense of uh, humility or a shrinking at the magnitude of the undertaking, 
Gideon tried to excuse himself from entering into the call. But when he recognized God as master and ruler, his qualifications then didn't matter. And God, his owner, and the one who had called him said, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And Gideon goes on to defeat, defeat the Midianites in God's name and with God's power. This is such a grand example of God's ability to use any of us despite our background. When we surrender before our owner, the all-powerful Adonai, and lay our insecurities, our doubts, and our hesitations before him, we will be amazed time and time again as God shows up in the most unlikely places and the most unlikely times and the most unlikely persons, you and me, uh, turning to your Adonai, you can overcome the Midianites in your life. The meaning of Adonai is carried over into the New Testament, where it is often uh, <clears throat> used of men as Lord and Master in relationship to servants, and is used hundreds of times uh, <clears throat> relative to the Lord Jesus himself. Scripture tells us <clears throat> that each of us came into this world with nothing and that we are going to leave with nothing. Everything we have on earth is on loan. We are merely borrowers of God's resources. That being so, God expects us to recognize him as the owner, as Adonai. Too many people want to use God's name and what he has made and provided without acknowledging his ownership. <clears throat> in fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 1, that our Lord God is the master who bought us. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20 states that if you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, then your body belongs to him. It says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. In reality, God has a right to the entirety of you, to all that exists of you, your body, your spirit, your soul. And we are further told to glorify him in body and spirit, glorify him in all we do. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 states, that we are present that that we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. We heard that in Sunday school, I believe. God uh, present ourselves holy and acceptable. Uh, this is our reasonable service. Ephesians chapter five verse seventeen tells us to understand to to know with understanding that it is the will of, our, of the Lord our Adonai. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, 14 and 15, <coughs> Peter calls us children of obedience to him who has called us. And further, that obedience is, our, is for our conduct to be holy as he is holy. A striking example is found in the life of Paul. Prior to his conversion, Paul was a passionate service of the Lord uh, since uh, 
since his very first opposition to the church, where he felt he was a very passionate uh, servant of the Lord, <clears throat> and his subsequent intense and vicious uh, persecution of early believers. He earnestly felt this was his calling in God's service. But the first words that fell from his lips at his conversion was, were, what shall I do, Lord? Translate Adonai. Galatians chapter 1, 16 and 17. Paul then tells us that when it pleased God to reveal his son to us, and that he, Paul, might preach among the nations, that he, Paul, like a good servant, went away in complete surrender to be alone with his Lord, Adonai, to prepare himself to do God's will. In Galatians uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 17, Paul even seems to take a bit of pride in emphasizing his lordship of Jesus Christ when he states, For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, referring to being a slave or bondservant of the Lord Adonai. And further in 1 Timothy, Paul states, Christ Jesus our Lord, Adonai, considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. And then in Acts 20 he says, But I do not account my life of any value, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. So look at it this way. The password for more fully unveil unveiling God in your life is to surrender to Adonai. Jesus framed it like this in Luke chapter 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and, do, and not do what I tell you? Acknowledging God and surrendering to him as Adonai are two different things. Confessing Adonai comes with obedience. Professing Adonai comes with sacrifice. <clears throat> Truly grasping Adonai comes with a heart that follows what God says and recognizes him as the owner who calls the shots. Running your life independently of God <clears throat> is like calling him Lord, Lord, but not doing what he says. The problem is when you run your life independently of God, manage your finances independently of God, manage your decisions independently of God, then God can't fulfill his full responsibility to you. He won't force himself upon you, so he lets you call the shots and live with the consequences. Compare this to breaking a wild stallion. When a cowboy first tries to ride the stallion, the stallion makes it clear he doesn't want anybody on his back. So the cowboy <clears throat> sets out to break the horse, to bring the horse underneath his submission. Time and time again, the stallion bucks the cowboy off to let him know he doesn't want anybody on his back. Yet the cowboy keeps climbing back on until the horse finally discovers who's in charge. And eventually, the wild stallion becomes tame. And therefore, and this is key, he becomes useful. Many times God tries to guide and direct us, but we keep trying to buck him off. We jump all over, we kick our legs out, and we tell him, I own my own life. I want to do things my way. 
We may not use these words, but that is our unspoken attitude. That God is not confused about who owns us. He keeps writing and writing until we are eventually broken enough to look up to him and say, Yes, sir, Adonai, you name the way, what should I do? Until we address the, the lordship issue in our lives, the Adonai issue, God's revelation to us and his use of us will be limited. You won't, <clears throat> you won't see him take you to a deeper level because the only people he takes there are those who yield to him as their owner. Just as in the Old Testament, the New Testament <clears throat> reveals Adonai the, in, in, is, is the one who imparts gifts upon his servants and equips them for their service. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us he made some apostles, others prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, uh, all for the accomplishment of his, of his purpose, for his will, in perfecting the saints and the work of his ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. God as Lord and Master protects, provides for, and sustains his servants. In Genesis, Adonai said to Abram, I am your shield. He is the rock, a fortress, the deliverer. <clears throat> in Acts, Luke says of Paul when he was in danger, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. Second Timothy, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. The grace of the Lord is continually with his servants, opening doors for them and closing them. Although Jesus Christ is our Lord and Master, our Adonai, <clears throat> it is also he who is the, the supreme example of the true and faithful servant, the ideal servant. It is the genuine comprehension of him as Adonai that we realize the full significance of that blessedness of the relationship that exists between us and our Lord God as a servant to the Lord. <clears throat> In Isaiah 42, God clearly reveals Jesus Christ as his servant, stating, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. In the New Testament, Philippians chapter 2 tells us Jesus became a servant as a bondservant slave and served to, and served to the point of death. It says he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Matthew chapter 20, Jesus as Lord says, he came not to be served, but to serve. <clears throat> and in Luke uh, 22, uh, Jesus says, I am among you as the one who serves. And then in John 13, Jesus tells us how to serve. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. As Lord and Master, God rewards the faithfulness of his servants. And the reward, reward is far greater than the service rendered. 
Christ our Lord gave himself for us and to us. If we are his, he is ours. And he tells us he is ours in a proportion that we are his. So we must be obedient. We must serve and we must do as he has done. To be a servant to the Lord is a great honor and joy for his children. Man needs lordship. With our faculties and judgments impaired, distorted by sin, both original sin and personal, we need direction, guidance, and authority in this world. Man was born to worship and serve. If we do not serve God, we directly or indirectly serve Satan, the usurper. Our Lord tells us no man can serve two masters at the same time. That is, we cannot serve both God and Satan. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says, Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Matthew 25 alludes in the parable of the talents the faithful servant, the obedient servant of the Lord Adonai will one day hear those joyful words from the lip of the Lord Jesus Christ, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. When you confess God as your Adonai, when Jesus is your Lord, your master, his word is the final say. That is true surrender. Your response to him is, yes, sir, Lord God, Adonai, I trust you, I will follow your will. So put your service in Adonai. Submit to him, for he loves you. He will equip you and sustain you when you trust him to fulfill his plan for you and through you. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your holy and infallible word and how blessed we are that through your word, the holy scriptures, that you have given us uh, your names and words that can help us grasp the measure of your being, no matter how small that measure may be. Lord, we can only realize just a portion of your power and your majesty and your dominion and your holy glory but father what greatness we do see lord god we want to know you to the fullest we want to know you as we should for your strength is made perfect in our weakness and your sufficiency is manifest in our insufficiency and your fullness is revealed in our emptiness. Thank you, Lord Adonai, for being our master and ruler. Thank you, Adonai, for what grace and mercy we see every day as you allow us to serve you. We ask now that you would continue to guide and direct us in all that we do and that, that we may bring glory to you. So, Lord, we pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.